0: Well, as I, as I am sure you know um, by now, the Christian faith is under attack. And I'm not just talking about ISIS and radical Islam, although it includes that, but I'm talking more specifically about what is happening within our own country. While founded on Christian principles, our country is becoming increasingly ungodly and immoral and, and and therefore of necessity hostile to our faith, to our beliefs, to our morals, to our values, to our very way of life. I mean, just, just for a moment, can you imagine 20 years ago having the conversations that we're having today? I resist the urge to highlight those. Survey after survey reveals that Fewer and fewer people in our country are identifying with Christianity. Atheism is, is growing rapidly within our youngest generations. Incredibly, inexplicably, Islam is the fastest growing religion in our country. Are you kidding me? And so per- perhaps you have one of the following questions. What in the world is going on? Will this Christian faith even survive? I mean, is it a sinking ship? Should I abandon ship? Uh, Perhaps a little more personal. Will my faith survive the onslaught, the attacks, the desertions, the ridicule, and the shame that our faith is currently? Will I survive? I want you to hear me very clearly And very carefully this morning, while it is no longer popular to name the name of Jesus, while, in fact, many professing followers are deserting, while opposition to the faith is increasing, while, in fact, ridicule and hostility are on the rise, there will never be a day in human history when Christianity is extinct. Some may leave it, Some may attack it. We may suffer for it. But Christianity will ultimately not only survive, but it will conquer and it will win. Think of its rather inconspicuous, insignificant beginnings. (laughs) I mean, it didn't really have a very glamorous start. The time was ripe in Israel for, with messianic expectations. Oh, to be sure, those expectations were skewed, uh, but but the Jews were ready for the appearance of their Christ nonetheless. Now, I don't think you can actually say that Jesus burst on the scene. <laughs> not really. I mean, it was after a scandalous birth in that incarnation. Uh, he, he certainly grew up in the wrong town, at least not where you would Expect the Messiah to grow up, Nazareth of Galilee? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And and so it began, And, and, and while his teaching was different, it was with authority, he had the audacity to confront the religious establishment of the day. He was certainly garnering attention, but not the right kind, or so it seemed. Sure, he performed some incredible miracles, healing the sick, casting out demons. There could be no denying those miracles. And so that same religious establishment denied the source of his miraculous power. What you do, you do by the power of Satan. And then, those he healed, those he exercised, he bound them to secrecy. What are you doing? This is... This does not seem the way to start a worldwide movement. What would become of this fledgling religion? Would it even make it? Oh, sure, he gathered many hearers. The crowds grew, with many even professing to be followers. But then he began teaching them in in parables, and he did it so they wouldn't get it. And and then somewhere along the way, his teaching is going to become a Too difficult, too challenging, too demanding. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What? And slowly the crowds are going to bleed away. And then there was the way that this movement seemingly ended with the crucifixion of this would-be Messiah. Oh, sure, there were reports that he'd raised from the dead, but Come on, there were only 120 followers left. By almost any measure, that's a failure. Uh, Would it make it? Would it survive, or would this Jesus of Nazareth melt into obscurity like many so-called Christs before him? Uh, Okay, sure. It has for a little while. Okay, for a couple of millenniums now, but... But maybe, just maybe, Christianity has had its day in the sun. Maybe it is in its waning days of popularity. Maybe it's even in its waning days of existence. Maybe it's dying a slow, painful death. I need you to hear me clearly and carefully. The, the Christian faith will not only survive, it will When How how do I I know? Turn with me to Mark chapter 4 and our continuing study of this book. We come to the last two parables that I have been calling the parables of the kingdom. Jesus has made clear why he spoke in parables. To conceal truth from those who who would refuse to believe. Those who would oppose him and us. They're not going to get it. And he spoke in parables to reveal deeper, encouraging truth to those who do believe. This morning, the deeper, encouraging truth for followers of Jesus is that the kingdom will not only make it, it will grow miraculously and magnificently. How? It is, after all, listen to me, it is, after all, God's kingdom. Our sovereign God and his glorious kingdom will prevail. Read the text with me. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 and following say this. And he, that is Jesus, was saved. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and and gets up by day and and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he, the farmer, immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. And he said further, how shall we picture the kingdom of God or or by what parable shall we present it? It's, it's like a mustard seed which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is grown, it, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. In many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. The parables of the kingdom. These parables begin with the parable of the sower, and they end with these two parables about seeds. There's, a, there's this continuity in the kinds of, of parables, but they communicate not different contradictory truths, but they do communicate different complementary truths. Two parables which clearly communicate. If you're thinking about bagging the whole thing, you need to listen up. Two parables which clearly communicate the following truths to encourage us to stay with it. We are on the winning side. The parable of the seeds of the field, it's been called, the secretly growing seed, whatever. Here's the truth. The kingdom will sovereignly, miraculously grow. The parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom w- will sovereignly, magnificently prevail. I don't care what's going on in our country. And then we'll see a reprise of the purpose of the parables in the last couple of verses. The first parable has as its emphasis the mysterious power and the secret process of divine growth. <laughs> Without human intervention, God doesn't need your help. Or, or without even human understanding the second has as its emphasis the small beginnings of the kingdom but is rather certain and magnificent end let's begin with the first parable the parable of the seeds of the field by the way this parable is unique uh to mark's gospel it does not appear in the other gospel narrative it's not in mark's uh, excuse me matthew or luke's parables uh, Mark starts uh, chapter 4 with the parable of the sower, which Jesus later explained to his disciples privately. Then he seems to give those same disciples privately, I think, the parables of the lamp and the measure. Now, perhaps turning his attention to the gathered crowds, crowds again, he gives these final two parables. Why do I say? Well, he doesn't explain them, but their meaning seems clear enough. And he was saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. (laughs) I know at this point I had that. What is the deal with Jesus comparing the kingdom to something so mundane as a farmer sowing seed? I mean, wouldn't it be better to, to compare the kingdom to something more grand and something more glorious? I mean, like majestic mountains or beautiful sunsets or vast oceans or maybe even powerful empires and rulers? What's the deal with the seed? Why a mustard seed rather than I don't know, the cedars of Lebanon. Because he's reminding us of the paradox of the gospel. It's not what you'd expect. It begins small, it's hidden, it's rather insignificant, but its growth is sure and commanding. Now, these parables remind us of the parable of the sower. But the focus of this story is not on the soil. Remember, we, we said that could be called the parable of the soils, actually. It's, it's not on the soils and how it is receded. It is, the focus is on the seed. In, in fact, it seems this seed falls only on good soil. And, and, the good, and the seed in this good soil grows. But here's the question. Here's the question of the, the parable is asking, how? How does it grow? I mean, this man casts the seed on the soil... Again, must be good soil. He goes to bed at night and gets up by the day. The wording is such there that he does this over and over. He goes to bed at night, gets up in the morning, goes to bed, gets up over and over. He doesn't do anything else. You see, he's broadcast the seed. That's all he can do. He cannot make the seed grow. In fact, here he doesn't even know how it grows. But make no mistake about it, it does. The seed sprouts and grows. The soil produces this crop by itself. That is without the help of the one who sowed the seed. It grows, first the blade, then the the head, then the mature grain within the head. And and then when the crop permits, that is when it's done, the the farmer immediately puts it to the sickle. The, the, The harvest has come. Anyone who has ever planted a garden knows how, how glorious that can be. You put seed in the ground, and every morning you, you get up and, and you check on it, right? Uh, in, my, in my backyard, I have a, I have a, I have a garden, a four-by-four four foot plot of ground that I plant seeds. And, 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 and every day I would take my kids, let's go walk through the fields, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'd do that. they go, okay, Dad. <laughs> and we'd go look. And, but we'd plant the seeds, and then we'd be really, we'd be excited. We'd be looking for the little seed to burst through the ground, and then pretty soon it would grow, and it would start putting forth those, like, little bitty tomatoes, and that's the way they remained on my garden. But that doesn't matter. It was, it was amazing to, to watch this. It's incredible. And I didn't do anything. Except plant the seed. He who has here's to hear, let him hear. Now, 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 one challenge we have is to not take elements from other parables and cross-pollinate. that's a pun. Each parable, each parable must stand on its own. So what is the meaning of this particular parable? I mean, the sower could be Jesus. In fact, some suggest he is, but I think it's doubtful since this man, the, this farmer, doesn't know how the seed grows. I suspect Jesus knows. <laughs> the, the, the seed is, is still likely the word, of, uh, the word or the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom has been repent and believe the gospel. The, the soil is, again, likely those who hear, but, but again, in this parable, it seems to be only good soil since the seed um, pro- grows and produces a crop. But the emphasis isn't on the soil. The, 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 the sower then puts the grain to the harvest, bringing in the results of the work of the, of the word of the kingdom, harvesting those who have heard in this case and believed, thus producing a crop, no doubt some 30, some 60, you know, some 100 fold. But, but, but what is, okay, so what is the primary teaching of this parable? I mean, it's obvious uh, this, uh, this idea that the farmer... Doesn't even know how the seed grows. The seed grows by itself. What does this mean? This is incredibly good news, disciples. Because it teaches some very critically important truths. First, we are reminded that our job is to broadcast the seed. We are to share the word of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel. We broadcast the seed wherever we go, remembering also from that earlier parable that the seed, some seed will fall on hard or, or rocky or thorny or good soil, but, but, but that's okay. We broadcast the seed. That's our job. Spread the good news to everyone. In fact, it, it doesn't even seem to be our job to determine the quality of the soil. It's not our job. Indeed, rocky and thorny soil may not even be readily apparent to us. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We spread the good news everywhere anyway. It's our job. It's our job. But the second thing we learn from the parable, that it is not our job to make the seed grow. You can't. We don't even know how it happens. It is not our job to cause the seed to sprout, to grow, and to produce a crop. We can't. That's His job. So we should leave it to Him. We do our job. We, do, we allow Him to do His. We don't even know how it grows. Kingdom growth is a mystery. It doesn't make sense to us. This... foolishness foolishness of the cross sweeping around the world. Foolishness. How in the world? It's God's sovereign work. That's how. And the third very encouraging thing that we learn is this seed, listen to me, will grow. While we may not know how, it's going to grow because the sovereign God of the universe whose kingdom it is anyway will cause the growth this mysterious, magnificent the, the, the power is found in the seed, in the word of the kingdom, as it is empowered by the very spirit of God. The point is, that it is not that we play no part in the work of kingdom advancement. Oh, of course we do. We, we understand the farmer might be involved in a number of ways. I mean, obviously he sowed. He probably waters and weeds and, and fertilizers and all that. Don't fill it in. That's not the point. In the end... The seed grows by itself. The point is God's sovereign purpose to make the kingdom grow. This is God's providence. This is His divine work at work. We remember how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The the, the church at Corinth was divided over their leaders. Uh, Well, a number of different things to include their leaders. Who's greater? Is it Paul or is it Cephas? That's Peter or is it it Apollos? And Paul says, you guys just don't get it. And and then look at what he writes. What what then is Apollos? And, And what's Paul? We're merely servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. You may have received the word from this sower or that sower, It doesn't matter. You believed as the Lord gave opportunity for you to believe. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who caused the growth. We're simply workers. We're farmers. I planted some seed, Apollos watered the seed, but it was God who caused the growth because that is His Now, now let me stop right here and say, I'm not talking about discipleship. Of course, we are involved in each other's growth. Don't make this say what it's not saying. It is ultimately God who causes the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but but God who, who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but... Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's that's incredibly good news. You will be rewarded according to how you sowed the seed. That's really wonderful because we are God's fellow workers. Can you believe that? Can you believe what, what Paul just called you? You are fellow workers with God. In fact, you're God's field. You're God's building. This is incredible news. The seed is broadcast. But it is not the broadcaster who causes the seed to grow. Can I tell you this morning, you can take that off your plate? It's not your responsibility. You can remove the guilt and self recriminations. It is God's job to cause the growth. And therefore, it is not the broadcaster who gets the credit or the praise. It is not even the soil that received the seed that gets the credit or the praise. The soil cannot say, thank God, I mean, thank me, I believed. You you, you, you can't do that. It is ultimately God who causes the growth and therefore receives all the glory and all the praise due His name. Because it's about Him. And notice the last thing to learn from this parable. The farmer sows the seed and, and is confident of a harvest. It is Jesus, by the way, who is telling this parable in the midst of rising opposition from religious leaders, the desertion of professed disciples and the misunderstanding of his own disciples. And yet we see here that Jesus is not disheartened. He is not distraught. He is not desperate. He's on his way to the cross. He understands what's going to happen. And he knows that God's kingdom will prevail. And so, We wait in faith, confident of the harvest to come. It's coming. Harvest in Scripture, uh, throughout Scripture, is used to speak of the sure and certain end to come. Uh, And and so we can sleep. That, That is like the farmer. We can go to bed at night. We can rest without anxiety and humble listen carefully, in humble confidence that God has invaded this troubled, broken world and his kingdom will survive. More than survive, it will grow. Here's what I want you to understand. This is God's kingdom, all of it. He is the sovereign king of his universe. He has not abdicated his throne. This is all his doing. We do our part, but ultimately salvation, the growth of the church, the growth of his kingdom, all his, all his doing. We are just privileged to participate in the sowing and we get to participate in the harvest. God is in charge of human history and he will bring his kingdom to its predestined consummation and no, listen to me, no human action or no human opposition will change that. Amen. I don't care what's happening in our culture. I don't care who's staying with it and who's deserting. I don't care if it is popular to name the name of Jesus today. I don't care what this internet site says or what this professor says. Doesn't matter. God will prevail. Prevail. Brings us to the second parable very, very quickly. The parable of the mustard seed, verses 30 to 32. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? it, it it's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are on the soil that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches. Remember, we don't know how it grows, but this one grows incredibly, so, so much so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Look at the parable itself before we consider its meaning. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, smaller than all of the seeds that are sown upon the soil. Stop right there. Yeah, I know. Lots of people want to point out that Jesus made a terribly dreadful mistake here. I mean, come on, as a supposed creator, he should have known that the mustard seed is not, in fact, the smallest of of all seeds. That's not, by the way, what he said. Uh, He he said it was the smallest of the seeds sown by gardeners and farmers at this time in Palestine. In fact, you may be interested to know that the mustard seed was proverbial at this time for its smallness. So there's no reason to get concerned here as if Jesus lost it. He's not giving a a lesson in botany, but he is speaking proverbially in metaphor that these first century hearers would have understood. Okay, so don't let this bother you. He said, here's his point. It is a very small, seemingly insignificant seed. Everybody understood that about the size of a grain of sand, but it is sown in the soil and grows to be a rather large plant, up to 10 or 12 feet high, as I understand it, such that it can be said to even have branches such that so big the birds can come and nest under the shade. Okay, so what does that mean? Again, we we must not take other elements of other parables and unnecessarily apply them here. Here, the the soil is is not necessarily the different kinds of hearers. It's more likely the world. That's how we are to understand it when Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of God is sown into the world. It's like a mustard seed. And now, in what way is it like this mustard seed? In two very clear ways. First, like the mustard seed, the kingdom began as a very small seed with a rather inauspicious, inconspicuous, insignificant beginning. I talked about it at the beginning. It was just Jesus and the 12. Sure, there were lots of popularity at first, but, but after his death and resurrection, there were only those 120 gathered in the upper room, and, and the 12... They were nothing to write home to mom about. Uh, They were not the the who's who of Christian leaders. I can name 12 pastors off the top of my head. It would have been better choices than these. (laughs) Right. We've noted this several times already. These were not political and religious leaders. These were not whom you would have chosen. Not who you would have expected Jesus to choose to start a worldwide movement. But it seems to have worked pretty well. These were a small band of fishermen, tax collectors, and no-name Galileans. This movement of the kingdom of God culminating in the church began rather small. Now, remember, when Jesus is giving this parable, it was 2,000 years ago, and it was rather small. But he spoke prophetically. Can I say Jesus spoke prophetically? Does that even make sense? I mean, he's God. He doesn't speak prophetically. He knows everything. But I'm going to say that. He spoke prophetically of its growth. It would grow this kingdom to be larger than all the plants of The the garden. Now, we need to be careful not to press the parable to make points that it does not make. For example, the other plants of the garden should not be seen as other religions in God's garden, and Christianity just grew to be the largest. It has nothing to do with that. Jesus is simply saying this even though it will start small, very small, in fact, it will grow to be quite large, in fact, quite great, from insignificant beginnings to a magnificent end, is the point. After all, we're talking about God's kingdom. Shalisa, the second thing I want you to see. Isn't that what happened? (laughs) This religious movement called Christianity has grown to cover the world. It is a faith 2,000 years old. It has grown to be larger than any other movement. It has grown such that the birds of the air can come and find rest under The shade of its branches many suggest this is a reference to the fact that people will come from 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 all over from all nations even Gentiles to find rest in God's kingdom that that may be here's what I want you to see. Listen carefully. These parables do not allow for the end of the Christian faith. There will never, I say it again, there will never be a time in history when Christianity is extinct. While it will be opposed, ridiculed, persecuted, it will grow to its consummate, magnificent, glorious end. So hang in there. Brings us to our third point, actually our conclusion. Mark forms what is called an inclusio with the beginning of the chapter. In chapter, at the beginning of chapter, uh, verse 2, he says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. Don't miss that. This is now the 10th time that he says something related to hearing as much as they were able to hear it. Here's my question. Do you hear? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you hearing me this morning? He did not speak to them without a parable within this section, and largely throughout his entire ministry, but to his disciples and to us, he explains everything privately, and this is what he wants you to know. I close with this. This is what he wants you to know, disciples. This is what he wants you to know this morning. The kingdom of God will grow. He has ordained it so. So despite human effort to extinguish it, to oppose it, to ridicule it, to shame it, to change it, to stamp it out, it will grow. In fact, in the face of the most severe persecution are, are, are times and places where it grows most magnificently. You do understand that in China, where Christianity was largely outlawed, it's estimated that there are over 100 million true believers today, more probably than the United States despite human effort, it will grow. And disciples of Jesus, it will be brought to its most glorious, magnificent end. It will, in fact, it has, in fact, become the greatest transforming power in the world to the glory of His name. So, will Christianity survive? I think that it is doing just fine. Thank you very much. Will you survive? I think you will. Let's stand for prayer.